0: Dot com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
1: Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This show, will be talking the Saudi Arabia World Cup that evidently is upon us... Uh, the widespread MLS playoffs that continue to rumble on, rom-coms, home field advantage, Halloween costumes, ballon d'or, equipment managers, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Wednesday, November 1st in the year 2023? I am doing well. The day after Halloween, I did not dress up as anything. Wow. Are you a grump about hum- Halloween, or is just you didn't have any occasion to do it?
2: Didn't have any occasion to do it. Okay,
1: um, but you you recognize the value and certainly the joy that you know, kids take in Halloween, right? You're not going to smash that to bits, are you?
2: I love Halloween. Okay, I, got I, it. Sorry, I missed
1: it. It's a- <laughs> I did not. Uh, I did not dress up. As a matter of fact, my wife lamented uh, this morning when she came downstairs that um we, we did not get trick-or-treaters at our house and it's it's not a it's it's not an area where a lot of people go trick-or-treating because there's a bigger area and a much better area that's very very close so it's not a surprise but there was still a a tinge of of sadness in the way that she uh, the way she talked about uh, have you watched anything my friend all i've got is uh season two of the gilded age
2: is off and running that's yes i saw it she promoted so uh about 1880s New York City, the battle between new money and old money. I enjoyed season one. Happy to have season two.
1: And this is just going to continue to roll on for as long as people like you are watching it, right? Uh, there's no end in sight for this.
2: I don't think the ratings are all that great. Okay. So we'll this see. Might be too this, might be too this might be two and done. This might
1: be two and done. This might be two done. But you're enjoying it. I do, yeah. It's certainly not as good as Downton Abbey.
2: No, it's done by the creator of it. Yeah, uh, very good, but not as to. good
1: as downtown. A, to a lot to live up to. Let's see uh, what I have. Um, are you a fan of rom-coms? Not particularly. No, you aren't. No. Uh, it's beneath you, I, I would think. Well, it's not beneath me. As a matter of fact, I am a big fan. And I know that they are kind of a, a comfort food version of entertainment. So I watched um, Marry Me. This is with uh, Jennifer uh, Lopez and Owen Wilson to veterans of the rom-com uh, 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 film out there. Uh, the reason why they continue to make them is because people like me uh, will continue to watch them. And are they going to change your life? Not in, not in a direct way, but if they give you a little hour and a half, 90 minutes of enjoyment and entertainment and you know, love and comedy, I am all for that. And the other reason why they make them is because they make money this one i think had a 25 million dollar budget around there ended up making 50 million and it will continue to do so And you think back in the uh in in the um you know the the history of rom-coms and meg ryan and julia roberts and jennifer aniston and sandra bullock and kate hudson and drew barrymore and reese witherspoon do do you have you ever seen a rom-com that would fall into that category
2: uh, sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Are there any that stand out to you? If I said to you, what's your favorite rom-com over the years? So for example, if I said, you know, producer Sean's already screaming about pretty woman in my ear, but if I said like, if I went to the eighties, it'd be like, say anything or something like that. Or then four weddings and a funeral, uh, Bridget Jones, 40 year old virgin. I love that one. Uh, crazy, stupid love. As you get closer and closer to now, and they're just going to keep cranking them out. Is anything stand, you know, uh, you've got mail or, uh, when Harry met Sally, like a classic one like that.
2: Yeah, that's a classic. Yep. Uh, I'll have what she's having. Yep. Uh, one of the most iconic lines in Pretty film woman. history. Yeah. Yeah, those would be yep. uh, yeah the the most iconic ones for sure. Yeah. But
1: you don't gravitate to them.
2: Uh, I just can't relate to them at all because in every rom com the guy ends up getting the girl at the end, <laughs> and that has not been my experience.
1: Well, this was this was fun, and like I said, it chewed up uh, a, a ninety minutes, and I. And I finished Marry Me with Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson with a smile on my face and uh, uh, a, a a golden feeling in my heart of love.
2: By the way, I usually don't like when Sean Sullivan interjects in our conversations, but he did bail me out there because I had nothing on
1: that rom-com. You had nothing, huh? I, I, it would have been well, blank I know, silence. I didn't, I, I didn't warn you. I wanted to no. get it you know, hot off the press and, and just get your unfiltered type of opinion when it comes to Because I know people out there are dying to know what... Because the, the cinephile that you are... You have to have at least some idea of what, uh, what's going on there. All right, should we light this candle, my friend? Let's do it. Where would you like to start
2: here? We begin with some big World Cup news. The 2034 FIFA Men's World Cup will take place in Saudi Arabia. You might recall a couple of weeks ago, FIFA had determined that this would be in either Asia or Oceania. Saudi Arabia promptly submitted a bid. Australia, where we just spent this past summer covering a Women's World Cup, Had been the other possibility, but they withdrew their bid right before the deadline. So Saudi Arabia is the lone bidder. So barring something unforeseen, they will get it. So it means another World Cup in the Middle East, another World Cup in the winter, another World Cup in a country with a bad human rights record. To address the elephant in the room, we just covered a World Cup in Qatar. We adopted the view that we should focus on the soccer and not delve into all the negative stuff. We were criticized in some quarters for treating it that way. Whichever network covers the 2034 World Cup will be confronted with a similar dilemma. Your thoughts?
1: Uh, so, a couple of things. First off, uh, to your point, uh, you know, we hope to be there from a Fox perspective and from an individual perspective. But you never know what the the future brings, and this is, it's not, it's, you know, it, it's it's years ahead, and who knows uh, if Fox is involved, if we are involved. But still, it's going to happen, and hopefully, we are involved in so, in some sort of way going forward. Uh, to your point about. Does this make you cringe and does this make you feel icky when, this is, when this, is, uh, this is happening? As you said, we've done now World Cups in Russia. We've done World Cups in Qatar. Uh, and, you know, we may be involved going back to, uh, to Saudi Arabia. I, I, part of me wants to know what the, what the purity test is for a World Cup. Because, again, this is a World Cup. And in the same way that when you look at the UN, you are certainly not going to agree with everything that is said and done by other members of your organization. And this ultimately will be decided by the membership of FIFA. And yes, money matters. We have seen that in the past. And that in and of itself isn't necessarily a problem uh, because there's a reason why they're coming to the United States, too. And it's not because everybody loves the United States. Um, or that we are without sin, they're going to make a load of money. Let's be honest when it comes to FIFA with what's going to happen here. It's going to be awesome. And they're going to make a boatload of money when it comes to what happens in, uh, in, in Saudi Arabia. The lack of competition, as you mentioned, Australia was in it. They saw the writing on the wall and recognized that this wasn't going to happen. The interesting thing is we've talked so much about joint World Cups and this, the way that the world is going, by all accounts, this is going to be a single country that can host it, certainly with the infrastructure they have, this infrastructure they are going to build and what they want to do. And there's no, I'm not uh, telling you anything you don't know, lack of money out, uh, out there. But I would be interested when, when people get all bent out of shape about whatever country, in this case, it's Saudi Arabia or anybody else hosting a World Cup, who, who qualifies? And what is your criteria for being able to host a uh, host a World Cup with the understanding that whether it's the politics or whether it's the history, what's the people, what it's the culture, we are not going to agree with every other country out there in terms of the way that they do things.
2: It was pretty contrived the way they try to act like we organically ended up with Saudi Arabia first day. They- give South America three games in 2030 and that counts as giving South America their World Cup and then they come out and say well it can only be Asia or Oceania uh, in 2034 and Saudi Arabia immediately submits a bid and then Australia some people think they were kind of paid to bugger off and so who knows but um, yeah they clearly wanted to hold uh, another World Cup in the Middle East we talked about there's this sort of geopolitical rivalry between Qatar and Saudi Arabia, this sort of tit for tat. So Qatar got once and now Saudi Arabia has to get one. So uh, I guess that's how it all played out.
1: If you are one of the FIFA members, okay, and you are ultimately voting on this and by voting for Saudi Arabia and supporting this, you will enhance your coffers. I'm not talking about personally. I'm not talking about that type of corruption, but you as a governing body in your territory, your country, you will enhance the amount of money that you have—that I know—it's theoretical, but in in the idealistic type of scenario, it actually goes into bettering your soccer. That—I I, correct me if I'm wrong. That's a good thing, right?
2: Yeah. No. If I was a FIFA executive, I probably would vote for Saudi Arabia because I think if I had that job, I would. My brain would be wired in such a way where I would look at it the way you just said. I mean, it, it's clear that FIFA—they don't care about optics and narrative and something being a bad look and all the stuff that everybody else talks about. They just look at the bottom line in a more practical purpose, uh, and yeah, so, you know, listen, people like Miguel Delaney can write as many columns as they want. It's not going to change the way FIFA operates. This is who they are. And you mentioned the Russian Qatar World Cups. That was under set bladders. So Johnny Infantino could point it out and say, hey, those were chosen under my predecessor. This is now under his watch. So it shows that despite a change in presidency, FIFA is operating the exact same way.
1: And there will be millions of people and a whole segment of the world that will have absolutely no problem having a World Cup in Saudi Arabia. As a matter of fact, we'll celebrate the World Cup coming back to that area of the uh, of the uh, of the globe. So, look, I, I. It doesn't mean that there won't be articles written. It doesn't mean that there won't be people that will scream and yell about it. It doesn't mean that there won't be protests. And they don't doesn't mean that those aren't fair and legitimate types of stories and information that uh, that will get out there. And with Saudi Arabia comes baggage, as with any country. Let's be honest. Some more than others, but this is the you know this is the situation uh, situation here. So it and uh we we so 26 is the u.s right 30
2: spain portugal morocco with three games occurring in south with America. the three
1: games and then 34 now i mean the way it's being <laughs> it's playing out here is going to be in sa in uh, in saudi arabia women's world cup so uh
2: we don't know 27 yet right yeah, we don't so. know 20
1: we don't know 27 yet but we know what's going to happen in 34 when the uh with the men's world cup
2: and and by the way i'd love to have a men's world cup in australia someday just keep the bars and restaurants open a little bit later in a little Sydney. bit
1: later boy they go to sleep early over yeah. there my goodness um all right anything else here uh with regards to the saudi arabia we'll keep an eye on what's go- what's going on and look i don't need to tell you or anybody listening or watching that our world is uh is ever changing we are in interesting and 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 dangerous times and so while this is you know looks to be a fait accompli who knows how the world uh and it is influenced by things that have nothing to do with soccer out there and geopolitical things and all that all that kind of stuff so i guess this is what is going to happen and it's up to saudi arabia in the same way that qatar uh did to use if they ultimately get it to use it uh, in terms of the things that they are doing. And we know what they're doing with their league. We know what they're doing with their money uh, and what they're, what they're trying to do around the world to make themselves appeal, be, uh, to be more appealing to, uh, to the globe as a destination and as a business player and all that kind of stuff going forward. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what, I wonder what the U.S. team in 2034 is going to look like if and when they touch down over there in uh, Saudi Arabia.
2: Well, we have an under-17 World Cup coming up on Fox, uh, and some of those players, we'll see, could graduate to the senior team and come uh, 2034, so keep an eye on that. Uh, So next up, uh, the MLS playoffs. Uh, We're taping this on a Wednesday afternoon. There's a game tonight. Since we last spoke, there were two other games played. Let's do kind of just an overall reset here, see where we're at with every series beginning in the Eastern Conference, the 1-8 matchup Cincinnati versus the Red Bulls. Cincinnati won game 1 at home 3-0. Uh game 2, uh, the Red Bulls will host on Saturday. If Cincinnati wins, they will move on to the next round.
1: Uh, before we get into the you know the actual games as we continue on. It seems like each day there are, you know, more and more takes if you will on this structure of the uh of the playoffs. Has your view on it changed? Because now we've seen, you know, after tonight, everybody will have played one game. And we talked before about, you know, the, I guess the strange nature of this and everything being spread out. And, you know, the fact that it's three games and it's not aggregate and you just, you win the game or you don't win the game and you go on and you don't really care ultimately what the, uh, what the score is. It's just about winning. Is, is this going to stick? And do you think that the criticism? has been valid or is this just people looking for something to complain about
2: i think the criticism is valid but it'll they'll at least keep it for a couple of years just well, to, do, in the think, hopes that people get used to it i don't know you, you don't think you think this, you think this might be a one and done
1: yeah i mean i i don't and i'm not i don't base anything off of twitter or, or x or anything anything like that and i do think that you know people uh, you know out there are angry about it. i actually was listening to uh I think it was Tony Miola called into one of the shows over there on SiriusXM, and you know his point was, you know, we we played basically one game of this. We have no idea how this is going to play out. And he actually made a good point about the reaction to League's League's Cup. Right? Is that what the uh, the tournament was? Yep. How you know a lot of us were scratching our head and looking around and saying, you know, what what the hell is this? And it ended up being a huge huge success. Now I don't think that. Ultimately, this is being viewed as heading in that direction, but you you know you never know. And again, as we talked about before, this does, in a certain way, make it so that the better team has a better chance of going, uh, of going through. All right, we talked about Cincinnati and Red Bull. Red Bull didn't show up in that first game, and so now with their back to the wall, they bring it back home, which is something new, just the ability to go back home because otherwise they would be out. Um, I just didn't see anything from uh from red bull but we've seen how good mls teams have been at home in the playoffs um but i gotta feel if you're cincinnati you gotta be licking your chops to put this one away
2: in the 4-5 matchup philadelphia claimed a 3-1 home win over new england in game one uh critics of the scheduling this series is sort of exhibit a because game two is until wednesday november 8th there's a 10-day gap in between games one and two that's pretty odd
1: it's very odd. And I think people were asking why we're recording this on Wednesday. So there's one game tonight. And yesterday was Tuesday. And there were no games. Now, it's Halloween. And so I think that that's probably what what happened there. But, you know, 10 days between games, that that is less than ideal, shall we yeah. say, Mossy?
2: Uh, unfortunate note with this series, uh, MLS is investigating. uh, Kai Wagner allegedly directed a racial slur at Bobby Wood in Game 1, so that's bad stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm always curious as to how these investigations go. So if you have a he said, he said type of situation here, obviously you're going to the principals, which would be Wagner and, uh, and Wood, and hearing their different sides of the story, if there are different sides, then I guess you're going to people... Around the incidents, and you have video of it so you can find out ultimately what was uh, what was said you know he hi uh, Wagner evidently has one foot out the door anyway uh not that that's you know a, a good thing from a, a Philadelphia perspective because he's still a great player and they want him on the field, but if it is proven beyond any reasonable doubt that he did something in that moment to uh in Bobby Wood in terms of what he said. It, he's gone and rightfully and rightfully so but you know that's 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 not a good thing we have seen this too many times happen and you don't want to convict anybody just because somebody says they did something but i hope the investigation is thorough and i hope it comes to a conclusion quickly so that wagner and philadelphia and everybody else can kind of move on and get into the uh, playoffs despite this long layout uh the two seven matchup, game one was
2: played on Monday. Orlando City claimed a 1-0 home win over Nashville. Cartagena with a sensational strike.
1: There have been goals, even in this uh deluge of criticism out there for the uh, the structure. There have been good goals and not just goals, but really good goals. And they've kind of gotten overshadowed with uh with the criticism of the structure of uh, of the playoffs and this is one of them and it's it's so funny uh mossy because i i start to think about how how a player gets hold of a shot like that and oftentimes it's because at the last moment even on beautiful fields it can just pop up a little bit and just that couple of millimeters of it popping up can change the force that you hit it with and i often thought about you know i have size 13 feet all right while they're size 13, when I played, I actually played in size 11 and a half <laughs> so I scrunched it, scrunched it in. But there's a reason, and I was always jealous of someone like, like Tab Ramos, not just because of his skill, but just the the small size of his feet, because the ability to hit it with much more force, as opposed to a more like a flipper, where it has much more flexibility and bend, and you don't always get it in that full force to be able to uh, to hit it. I don't know if anybody else has, has thought about. I guess, anatomy in that way. And the actual, what is it, kinetics or whatever, the uh, of actually kicking the ball and hitting it and getting, getting all of it. But you know as a player when you get all of it. And I do think that maybe players with smaller feet have a better chance of getting all of it.
2: Yeah. Legendary Brazilian midfielder Gigi invented what's called the folia seca, which is that shot that it goes up and then it dips down. And Cristiano Ronaldo made a living out of that. Uh, so that's another sort of method of long distance And Cristiano
1: and company also benefited from the volleyball-esque design uh, and trajectory that with the modern day balls that they uh, that they use too. So, all right, uh, what else?
2: So the three six matchup. Oh, we should say game two, Orlando, Nashville. That's uh, next Tuesday in Nashville. We'll see if Nashville can stay alive there. It's Tuesday. Jeez. <laughs> then the three six uh, matchup in the East. Columbus hosts Atlanta. Game one is tonight. By the time you hear this pod, that match will have already been played, so we can't say much about it. But uh, that's the last series to get underway.
1: Uh, and Atlanta missing. Um, Almada. Uh, Almada, uh, you know? yeah. So that is... that. I mean, that's the question as to... It, it's not um, addition by subtraction because he's a great player. But it does... It does mean that Atlanta is going to throw a look out there that Columbus will not have been able to prepare for and seen, uh, see. Now... It, they are they are a good team you know, possibly a great team in Columbus. They have seen Atlanta before, but that's what's going to be interesting is to see what Atlanta looks like without this proverbial talisman in the uh, And Do they do they come together and makeshift something that Columbus didn't expect and ultimately find a way uh, to do it in Columbus? I think I picked Atlanta in this game. We did, yes.
2: Yep. Uh, in the West, the 1-8 matchup, SKC went into St. Louis game one and won 4-1. Uh, and now SKC will host St. Louis. Game two is on Sunday. If SKC win again, they will move on.
1: And, you know, Bradley Carnell, the uh, head coach of uh, Sporting KC, is already kind of you know, laying down the possibility and and framing the entire season as a success and I think that they're on the ropes, and I think that they are worried that this is going to dampen and damage the way that this team has looked. And look, whether it's Bradley or anybody else, it's all fine and well what you do in the regular season. But ultimately, this is about winning MLS Cup. You know it from the first whistle of the first game at the very beginning of the season that that's what it is about. Does it mean that there's not value? and there shouldn't be praise for what you do in the regular season? No, but the regular season is what gets you into the playoffs, and that's where you have to do your best work. And certainly in that first game against Sporting KC, uh, St. Louis was not prepared and did not do their best uh, best work. Luckily for them, it's 2023, because last year they would have been out. They get, to, uh, they get to regroup and come back against Sporting KC, who I don't think thought that they were going to come out and smash uh, St. Louis in the way that they did in that first game. So this this has a this is great because if St. Louis plays the way St. Louis played in the regular season in this second game, and then sma- and smashes SKC, then that pendulum completely sw- switches over, and you would have to uh, say, all right, St. Louis figured it out in the playoffs, and now they're out of this funk. This was just a one-off type of anomaly uh, where they uh, where they lost to Sporting KC, but that is a big. If and if they're already looking around saying, oh "Yeah, but you know this has been a success and all," then I, I worry about uh, about Kansas City going, uh, about uh, St. Louis going to KC.
2: The four-five matchup. Houston claimed a two-one home win over RSL. Game two in Salt Lake is Monday.
1: Yeah, as I said in the show earlier uh, earlier this week, Houston's a better team. I just worry that they didn't do enough to prove to themselves if this was aggregate type of stuff i would really i would really be worried but i mean and and rsl has to come out i think in a completely different way they cannot let houston have the ball and dictate in the way they did in the uh in the first game but i'm still i'm still staying with houston
2: the 2-7 matchup, that was the other game on Monday. Seattle claimed a 2-0 home win over Dallas. Rusnak from the penalty spot and Jordan Morris supplied the goals. Jesus Ferreira had an absolute shocker, squandered a couple of great chances, which brought out the anti-Jesus Ferreira brigade on social media.
1: So they're angry that he didn't put away his chances. Is that what uh, people are angry at? You know, People are going to be angry at Jesus no matter what. A Jesus could part the C's and they would still <laughs> they would still be angry at, at him. And look, yeah, it's it these are these are big misses from the guy that you count on to score goals. Having said that, this is a team that has, you know, basically put everything on his shoulders. And through the season he has delivered. He's been he's been very, very good. So if and when that doesn't happen and he doesn't show up, it is, it is glaring. Is that fair? Hey, welcome Jesus Soccer and life isn't fair, so he needs to figure it out. But I do, I do think there has to be, you know, some recognition that if it's if it's simply about either Jesus scores or Dallas isn't a good team and doesn't win, okay, fine. But that's that's something to put on on his shoulders. And if I was a player around Jesus Frere, I would say, hey, I'm I'm not. I need to pick it up, and I need to help uh, to to help out. But when he gets those opportunities, given what Jesus Ferreira is, even people that criticize him, I think it's justified in terms of him not finishing those opportunities because he's more clear cut opportunities.
2: His next chance to redeem himself Saturday is game two of that series. Now, yeah, I think they're done.
1: I think Seattle finishes it off in two and Jesus and company go home and Jesus will be blamed for everything.
2: A lot of criticism for a guy with 15 goals and 23 U.S. appearances. Not to <laughs> bring up that whole debate again. Oh, if, if only Seattle was a CONCACAF minnow, you yeah. know, then we know he would have put those chances. Put all,
1: your, put all of your, you know, because you know, the debate is, well, look at this person. If Flo Balogun is in Jesus Ferreira's position, does he score as many goals, all right? It, does he lead the team in a much better way? This is, keep in mind, this is still FC Dallas. Or, you know, put, put whoever it is that you want uh to take the place of jesus ferreira because you hate jesus ferreira and put him in the dallas position and tell me what changes fair point all right uh the 3-6 matchup
2: lafc claimed a 5-2 home win over vancouver The scene now shifts to vancouver game two is sunday
1: yeah fun game lots of goals wide open uh still i didn't feel like lafc got out of uh second gear I think I just read that uh, this is going to be a big game in terms of just literally the size of the game. They're opening up the upper deck over there in Vancouver, so the uh, the folks over there in Vancouver recognize that this is a big deal, recognize the opportunity, and recognize the pressure that they have to win this game. And you know whether they win it in regulation or whether they win it at penalties, it all counts the same given the uh, structure. So they're going to have to bring it. They're bringing it off the field in terms of the crowd here. I just don't think that they're good enough, and I think that Laf's yeah maybe maybe this one goes to 3 but i you know i still think that LAFC cuz i haven't even i don't think we've even seen the best of LAFC so even with a crazy environment up there in Vancouver i think that LAFC puts this one to bed
2: one last MLS note uh, there are widespread reports today that luis suarez has already agreed a deal with inter miami he's playing right now with brazilian club Grêmio, but he had initially signed a two year deal with Grêmio, and they mutually agreed to shorten it to one year so he'd be a free agent at the end of 2023, which everybody knew it's because he wants to go to Inter-Miami. Uh, so that's going to happen. He's going to be reunited with his buddy Lionel Messi, who we're going to talk about in the next segment when we discuss the Ballon d'Or.
1: So, I mean, this is way too early type of prediction. If that ultimately comes to pass, and you know it's not that's not going to be the only change that Inter-Miami do. By the way, did you see that they had to cancel their uh, their China trip? So they're back training because of uh, death of uh, you know, one of the politicians over there or whatever. Um, so they're they're back. But if this were to come to fruition, do you think that Luis Suarez, given what he is now, and now it would be Luis Suarez 2024 version, how, how good do you think that is?
2: For what it's worth, still playing at a pretty high level in Brazil. So uh, he's had some knee issues. So we'll see health-wise how he holds up. But if, if he's healthy, he, he can still play. Is
1: that good or bad for MLS to have Luis Suarez, given what he is right now, come and do good things? um i think suarez is a good
2: one uh, you're right there are some that sort of reinforce the retirement league stuff you don't like but i don't know the the fact that he's playing well in brazil this year maybe i'm overrating the credibility of the brazilian league but i think that gives it some legitimacy no
1: i, I just i hate to give fodder yeah. to the anti-mls brigade out there and you know damn well that if and when luis suarez starts scoring goals it it will just be another card that they can play as to the, the problem. And yes, there is a part of me sometimes that even with these great players, but, you know, when, you know, that, uh, retirement league type of thing, there's a part of me that kind of wants them to fail because of the message that that would send. And I know from a business perspective, that's not necessarily a good thing. And maybe, you know, the, the, the good far, I don't know, far outweighs, but the good outweighs the bad. But there is an element, and maybe it's just case-by-case basis of, you don't want everybody to come over and to be awesome. You do want kind of lessons learned and examples to say, hey, this isn't a walk in the uh walk in the park for whoever wants to come over here and therefore play into the whole retirement league criticism
2: another solid sean sullivan contribution reminded me that uh giorgio killini is the player that suarez bit in the 2014 world cup so if he does come to mls those two will square off again you'll have that whole storyline
1: maybe they can kiss you know the opposite of the bite and it's you know it's Right there on the field. It'd be beautiful.
2: Giorgio Chiellini, who I recently saw at the Century City Mall with Did his you? family doing a little shopping. yeah,
1: Just cruising around at you the know, Century yep. City. You, know, you yeah. can't miss him, right? Um, well, you know, he and his LAFC have their uh, hands full. And who knows? Maybe uh, this time next year we're talking about an, a uh, Luis Suarez-led Inter-Miami. Team I in think, the, it would, uh, playoffs. think
2: it would still be a Lionel Messi led you think? Uh, team. Yes. Oh. Uh, speaking of Messi, I'm trying to set up the segue to the next segment. We'll talk Messi when we come back.
1: All right. Let's take a quick break and then uh, we'll come back and give Mossi the opportunity to talk about Messi. Don't go anywhere. Okay. Welcome back. Uh, we got a little European uh, weekend preview uh, coming up here. But first, the ballon d'or happened, Mossi. Uh, and so we have some winners here.
2: Yeah, on Monday, while we were taping our podcast, a ceremony was going on in Paris. Fabrizio Romano tweeted out that Messi was going to win, so we briefly discussed it, but we can get into it more here. Messi did, in fact, win his eighth Ballon d'Or. At the age of 36, he's the second oldest winner ever behind only Sir Stanley Matthews. Uh, The Ballon d'Or used to be just a European Player of the Year award. In 1995, they opened it up to players from all regions, but they then went back and determine who would have won it in those previous years had it been eligible to everybody. And Pele ended up winning it seven times. So if you put any stock in that, Messi surpasses Pele here with his eighth uh, conquest. And he's obviously the first active MLS player to win it. So it was a cause of seller. back. They, it was a bit odd. They got a panel together and had them research it and determine who would have won it in all those previous years had it been open to more than just European players, had it been open to players all across the world. So I don't put that much stock in that, but for what it's worth, I did see that he technically surpassed Pele by winning his eighth, because Pele retroactively was given seven Ballon d'Ors. Uh, but what we care about in this country is he's the first active MLS player to win it. And by the way, the, the time cutoff—it was uh, you're supposed to measure what players did for club and country from August first. 2022 through July 31st, 2023. And that does catch his first two Inter-Miami games in the League's Cup. So don't let anybody tell you that Inter-Miami was not a part of this. It did factor into uh, Messi's accomplishments. But You have a bemused look in your face. Because well, why are, I don't...
1: Because I'm, I'm trying to figure out... Take away the going back and changing it. Right. Does this... Would this be the first player to win the Ballon d'Or that wasn't in Europe?
2: No, no, no. Way back in 1995, they changed it. And so they made it eligible for everybody. I know they made it eligible, yeah. but did
1: anybody from that wasn't in Europe oh. playing actually win it? Oh, that's a good so question. So if I'm going from 95, I have it right here. George Weah playing for Milan. No, yeah, yeah. So he he Tom, would, if we're, you know, again, if we're
2: treating him, yeah, he's actively a player who's playing outside of Europe. Yeah, that would be a first, yeah.
1: Okay, so this is even more <laughs> incredible. Uh, you
2: think that was an all-time lead-bearing setup by me?
1: Yeah, I mean, no, but so, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> And I know, he, you know, he just kind of came to MLS, but, and, and a lot of this is relative to the, uh, the World Cup. And that's where a lot of the, the controversy, I guess, is right now uh, relative to Mbappe and Erlen Erl- holland uh, But it's because of him. Well, a lot of people believe that it is simply because he won the World Cup. And this is the feel-good type of moment that everybody was waiting for, and it should be rewarded in, term, in terms of him winning it. And yet, if, if he had not won the World Cup, um or didn't have the chance to win the World Cup like a uh, Erlen Holland, then this would not have been awarded. And so this is just an easy, you know, pat on the back for absolutely one of the great players, uh, great players ever. I guess what the question comes down to is, did he deserve it? I think so. Why?
2: Yeah, as we talked about, it it became this country versus club debate where you know, are we really counting this tournament that's only a month, seven games? Are we holding that up above an entire season? Because, you know, people feel like Erlen Haaland at club level was the best player and Messi won it because of the World Cup. But I say yes. I think the World Cup does have that level of importance and Messi finally winning it was something that was so monumental that I think in any sort of uh, year where the World Cup is factored into it, that does carry a lot well, of weight well, for But what
1: me. if Luka Modric had won with Croatia?
2: If he had won the World Cup? Yeah. Oh, you could have made a very good case for giving it to him. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think the World Cup carries a lot of weight. In fact, uh, Luka Modric won it in 2018 but how just, just it, by virtue of Croatia getting I, to the final. I'm not disagreeing yeah. with you,
1: but how can it carry weight when not everybody is eligible for it to win the World Cup? I mean, you're eligible in that you can qualify, but they're not all equal. You know, Erlen Holland does not have the same chance of winning the World Cup that Lionel Messi or that's Luka fair. Modric have for that well,
2: matter. and to your point, the very first year they opened it up to non-European players, George Weah won at Liberia, a guy who's never going to win anything at, at international level. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, 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 you're right. That's a fair point that some people are raising that uh, a guy like Erlen Holland, Norway, gets sort of uh, shortchanged.
1: And, and I'm not. And again, I'm not saying that you're you're at, you're not right in terms of that sentimentality that obviously was on display. And I have it others others have it for for what he what he is but this was also I mean he's also won it plenty of times so <laughs> and of his eight the one I have the biggest problem with is
2: 2010 because that ran counter to what I just said Messi in that world cup didn't score a single goal uh, Argentina crashed out in the quarterfinals lost 4-0 to Germany and he still got the Ballon d'Or based on his Barcelona exploits when you could have given it to a Xavi or Iniesta uh, because Spain won the World Cup, or even somebody like a Wesley Snyder who won the treble with Inter Milan and then helped the Netherlands get to the World Cup final, scored five goals in that World Cup. So that, of all of Messi's triumphs, I, I mean, it's, it's always hard to argue with you know, Messi winning any award. He's the best player. But that's the one that I have always looked at and said, well, okay, that one was a bit weird.
1: It's interesting with the, with the rise of the EPL. If you go back to, you know, if we say, uh, where did you say when it first started? 95. 95, yeah. So if you go back then, I mean, there is very few. Alan Shearer for, for Newcastle. Uh, let's see. David Beckham at one point was in '99 was second. Uh, second. Yeah. Um, Michael Owen who won it there, and then it just—it's a dearth. <laughs> I, 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 I want to say Ronaldo was so do- dominant. I
2: want to say Cristiano's first in 2008 was still a Manchester United player, correct?
1: Yes, yeah. he was, uh, and he and and he beat out Messi and Fernando Torres actually so it but then it goes there's a lot of barcelona here and very very little until 2019 that's when england comes back in with virgil van dyke playing at liverpool uh jorginho for chelsea in 2021 and then you know the uh, the rise of liverpool was with, uh, with Mane and kevin de bruyne on those types of players
2: 2019 is another controversial messy win i didn't have a big issue with it but a lot of people think liverpool was hurt by the fact that van dyke sala and mane were all in the top five and they sort of canceled each other out if if everybody had sort of rallied behind one liverpool player they had won the champions league that year that that player would have won it but they kind of split the vote um so you know it's always uh, it's like the oscars you know yep. people always like to yep. debate this stuff every year yep. uh, as you mentioned holland finished second and finished third um in terms of the other awards, Jude Bellingham won the Coppa Trophy for the best young player. A lot of people think he's the early favorite for the 2024 Ballon d'Or. I
1: mean, who's going to say that they're wrong?
2: No, no, the, absolutely. The, the
1: dude, if he continues doing what he's doing right now, he's going to very, very quickly you know, rise to the heights of, uh, um, of the others. Although, you know, Mossy put so much stock into the, uh, the World Cup, that would mean that you know, he's got to do it at the international level too. Uh, in order to win these trophies.
2: He does have the Euros. I I could see him having a good tournament.
1: Euros, Nobody cares about that. It's the World Cup,
2: buddy. Well, in a non-World Cup year, then that negates what I just said.
1: (laughs) you got to win the World Cup. (laughs) Until you win the World Cup, you can't win this award.
2: (laughs) Uh, Vinicius won the Socrates Trophy, which is a humanitarian award for his work fighting racism. Erlen Holland won the Gerd Müller Trophy for leading scorer. Uh, Manchester City won Club of the Year. Emmy Martinez won the Yashin Trophy for Best Goalkeeper. Talk about a guy who the World Cup is giving him a boost because playing for Aston Villa, he wouldn't be winning any of these awards, but what he did at the World Cup is...
1: Hey, believe me, you you don't have to uh, <laughs> impress the importance of a World <laughs> Cup on, and, on me.
2: And, and again, him winning this award was just another occasion to watch replays of that save on Colomwani, which is the most mind-boggling Amazing. thing I think I've ever seen. Um. And then on the women's side, Barcelona won for Club of the Year. And Aitana Bonmati won uh, Player of the Year, which marks the third straight year that a Spanish Barcelona player wins it. Puteas had won it the previous two years. A couple of thoughts on the women. Uh, I've seen a lot of women's soccer writers complain in the last 24 hours that they feel like this award feels very sort of thrown in and they don't put a lot of thought into it. They brought out Novak Djokovic to present the award. Why not bring out some legendary female player, a Mia Hamm or somebody like that? Uh, do you feel like the way this is all done, I just read off like 10 different men's awards and there's only a couple of women's that the women are still feeling slighted. It, it reminds me a little bit of the Grammy Awards with hip hop. For yeah. a lot of years there, they treated hip hop like it was kind of this other.
1: It, I mean, it's 2023. And again, these are these are unnecessary types of self-inflicted wounds that that these organizations, that these entities, I, I don't know if it's done out of complete you know, ignorance um, or if it's actually done out of some sort of defiance. But, you know, it's, it's it, <laughs> I don't understand. Just, just make it equal and, and, uh, and off we go. We know that the attention is going to be placed on the, on the men's side of it. There's nothing you can do about that. But in the way that you present it, in the presenters that you have, that you can control. And so the ceremony and what ultimately happens, you can make it equal. You can make it equitable in terms of what's, uh, what's going on. It's, it's the right thing to do. And even if you don't think it's the right thing to do from a practical perspective and a business perspective, the way that it's heading, you're going to benefit ultimately from doing that in the way that people see you, in the credibility that you have, and you are going to be putting yourself and your awards and all of the business around that in the in the position to reap the rewards going forward. And I'm talking about, uh, you know, whether it's sponsorship or whether it's attention or whether it's credibility going forward. So it does the excuses for not doing it. They they continue to fall flat, you know, and this isn't me virtue signaling or anything like that. It's just it makes complete sense. And I don't understand why it's not done.
2: Uh, second uh, women's point. Sam Kerr finished uh, runner-up. Pada finished third. The highest U.S. player, Sophia Smith, 25. Now, we know Macario got hurt. Otherwise, she probably would have been a contender for this. But nevertheless, people that really want to push this narrative that the U.S. is kind of a spent force in the women's game, uh, they're bringing this up as further evidence. Your thoughts?
1: I mean, I think the U.S. is has fallen from grace. I think the U.S. women's national team and you know, U.S. soccer has taken a hit. I I, I don't think that U.S. women's soccer uh, in general is as weak or in as bad shape as people would make it out to be. But, you know, if you ever wanted a shot across the bow, this is more than a shot across the bow, and then you couple it with the biggest failure in U.S. women's World Cup history uh, this summer, and it, doesn't, and it doesn't look good. But from, a, from a, a global perspective and women's soccer, while we have benefited, like we've said time and time again, from what we have done over the last decades, the rest of the world coming and the rest of the world in, in some instances is passing us, that's a good thing. But I hope it lights a fire. And I hope that uh, those in charge understand that the rest of the world is not going to wait around for us. And they will gladly blow by us. And once you've lost it, it's going to be that much more difficult to get it back.
2: All right. So that's it for the Ballon d'Or. Should we get to the weekend action in yes, Europe? Yes. Uh, we begin in Germany, where we have a their classiker, Borussia Dortmund, will host Bayern Munich. Uh, Dortmund won today in the German Cup. They beat Hoffenheim. Gio Reina started that match, played about 70 minutes. Uh, we'll see what that means for him at the weekend.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is good. Uh, he looked good in the first half. And. Uh, He's, you know, you always have to say it. Didn't get hurt. That's a uh, that's a good thing. But, I mean, we talked, what was it, last week or whatever, about his lot right now. Is this making you change your, uh, your opinion in that, you know, maybe they had a plan or they have a plan and that he will be looked at much more in a starting capacity than in a substitute capacity?
2: Maybe, although one could argue the fact that he started today might be a bad sign for yeah. the weekend. yeah. Exactly. Um, I mean,
1: it wouldn't surprise you or me if he is right back on the bench this weekend.
2: And listen, I actually think uh, the biggest threat to Bayern this season is Leverkusen, who are currently atop the table. But Dortmund-Bayern is the game. Um, Dortmund traditionally have been the best of the rest. Twice in the last five seasons, they battled Bayern until the very last day, including last season when they had destiny in their own hands and blew it. So uh, their or is the game in Germany. There is some extra juice there. So I'm looking forward to it. Now we have Harry Kane entering the pitch. This is in Dortmund, right? Correct.
1: Oof. All right. Well. And, and by
2: the way, it, not, not to hammer the Bundesliga today, but if you want to talk about why Dortmund can't keep up with Bayern. We just talked about it. Erlen Holland finished second in the Ballon d'Or and Jude Bellingham is the early favorite to win it next year. They had those two. They sold them. When the second biggest club in your country is a developmental club that just looks to sign players like that for a couple of years and then sell them off at a profit, uh, it's going to be hard to compete so with Bayern. So who's the next one on
1: Dortmund? Like, Who's the next player?
2: I thought it was going to be this Mukoko, but his his, he's kind of hit a snag. And Gio, you know, could have been a candidate for that. And now they're talking about unloading him in January for like 10 or 15 million years. Did you see those stories? Yeah, does
1: he he must have a a exit clause? uh, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, how the mighty have fallen. Uh,
2: I I mentioned by the way that uh Dortmund uh, won in the German Cup and Gio started an American we haven't talked about much this season because he's not really in the national team picture anymore. Is Jordan Pfock, yes, but. Gladbach, yeah, beat Heidenheim in a German cup. He scored twice. Uh, and then staying with the Americans' Bundesliga theme, another interesting game this upcoming weekend, Union Berlin-Eintracht Frankfurt, which could mean the Aronson brothers squaring off, although Paxson hasn't played a whole lot this season, so we'll see if he gets on the field. Well,
1: first off, back to uh, to PFOC. Goals, obviously, uh, they're like catnip and you could score a couple goals, people go, hey, haven't heard from him in a while. Hey, this is maybe... That. Remember, when was it? Was it a couple of years ago when... Uh, oh, God. Uh, what's, oh. I, I think I what's know where name? you're going with What's this? his name? What Timmy what you, Chandler. Timmy Chandler was up top, and he started scoring
2: goals, and everybody went completely nuts. Oh, yeah. Derek Ray came after you on Twitter over your form is fallacy stuff. What are you talking about? He's, this guy's <laughs> got to be called up. He's scoring goals.
1: All that, all that is to say that p is not getting called up, all right? That ship sailed a long time ago, but I'm, I'm glad that he's scoring goals.
2: But Jesus Ferreira can get called up.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, what else? All right, we head to Italy.
2: Uh, AC Milan will host Udinese. Uh, Pulisic, member had to come off against mm-hmm. Napoli, a minor muscle injury. We'll see that, what that means here. Keep in mind, Milan have one eye on their upcoming Champions League showdown against PSG.
1: Well, I mean, We'll see how minor it is um i mean if it's a precautionary type of thing like you said if they're looking around the corner here yeah i don't know that's that's a that's a hard one do you do you hold them out for champions league just out of a overabundance of caution yeah. i mean obviously i want to, i want to see him play but if i could only have him play one game i would rather see him play against PSG especially because if you remember we all we all do they were not good in Paris in that first leg and so giving him the opportunity and Milan the opportunity to turn that around and play a whole lot better I think is yeah if if I if I can only get one game I want him against PSG but I kind of like to get him two games
2: and obviously Musa, I expect to start. He's been yeah. starting regularly. Yeah. He's been, yeah, he's been great. Uh Juventus, who are second in the table, they're away to Fiorentina. Timmy Wea, we know is injured. He's out, but Weston McKinney expected to start.
1: I mean, the old uh Weston McKinney to Leeds. Remember when he went to Leeds? <laughs> I mean, it was it was a forgettable type of moment, but he you know, he's come back and he's just hasn't skipped a beat. And the, the whole point was that He wasn't part of their plans kind of, or was it, Hey, he just needed to have this adventure and get out and kind of clear his head and then come back. And he's going to be, I don't think that that was the plan. I don't think that they thought that they were going to get back this player and he was going to become a part of their, their starting lineup going forward. But, you know, he, he finds a way to attach himself, uh, you know, probably because of, he's a good player, uh, his attitude and maybe even his personality, it's just endearing. And he finds a way onto the field. If I may geek out here for a minute and talk about
2: Fiorentina, you know, Italy might not be producing too many players right now, but they keep pumping out good coaches. We know Roberto Di Zerbi in England, very highly regarded. And this Vincenzo Italiano at Fiorentina, also very good. Last season took him to the Coppa Italia final. They lost to Inter and the Conference League final. They lost to West Ham. Uh, This season, they're battling for top four. They're fun to watch. They play attractive football. Bonaventura, Nico Gonzalez, Artur, Brazilian midfielders, even had a bit of a renaissance. Um, I like this guy. This is a fun Fiorentina team. And by the way, they hate Juventus. Uh, You go all the way back to 1990 when Roberto Baggio was sold from Fiorentina to Juventus. There were riots in Florence. Um, More recently, Vlahovic uh, made that same move. So, yeah, this is a fun game. I'm actually looking forward to this one.
1: All right. Should we go over there to uh, jolly old England?
2: Uh Yes, uh the best game there. Newcastle will play host to Arsenal. Uh, both those teams in action as we speak in the League Cup. I was going to check the score, but perhaps uh, Sean Sullivan can get in my ear and tell me what's going on in those games.
1: Well, either way... Uh, Newcastle 3-0 up on Manchester United. Oh, so they're going to come in flying now against, uh, against Arsenal.
2: And Arsenal are down 3-1 to West Ham.
1: Wow. Wow. All right. Well, that's, you know this Newcastle team there was a there was a lull earlier where you thought oh it's not as good as we thought it was going to be but i you know i was listening to our uh, friend Warren Barton uh, and look he's he wears it on his sleeve but he did kind of go down and talk about you know even with all of the money coming in and the high expectations there was a real appreciation in the way that he was talking about how They planned things, and it worked. It has worked out for them. And they're absolutely better. But I don't think this is the finished product by any stretch of the imagination. Miguel Amoron scored today, too.
2: He did, Um, among the goal scorers for Newcastle. That game is not over yet. West Ham Arsenal is over, 3-1 final there. Um, So, yeah, this should be a good one, Newcastle-Arsenal. Arsenal, two points behind Tottenham, who topped the table, and they host Chelsea. So that's another big game this week.
1: So despite Newcastle feeling good, are they arsenal level good i mean if you had to pick this game uh, newcastle hosting arsenal
2: oh i think newcastle have a great chance yeah really yeah yeah okay all right, all right. And, and by the way we'll get this we'll talk about this on a different day but manchester united coming off that three nil against man city they're getting drilled at home again three nil to
1: newcastle i mean <laughs> does ten hawk have pictures or what what's
2: going on <laughs> this is good
1: god all right uh, talk about how the mighty have fallen yeah. right, anything else Masi? that's it all right let's take another quick break when we come back it's time for Ask Alexi okay welcome back it's time for Ask Alexi that part of the show where you send in your comments questions and concerns and you can do it over there on the uh, social media platforms keep in mind that our our handle is S-O-T-U with Alexi, uh, and you can use that hashtag AskAlexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is six size, uh, 657-549-2297. That 657 What do we have this show, Mossy?
2: Well, last night was Halloween. Yes. And so people sent us photos of their costumes, and you, my friend, were a popular person to yeah, impersonate
1: yeah so it's i mean as we get further and further away it becomes less and less uh identifiable to a uh, to a younger generation but inevitably around this time of year i get people sending me pictures of them dressing up and look the uh the iconic faux denim is something there and you can see them if you're watching this show here's a couple of them that we had uh last night there's a young man, I think with his, uh, his baby. And, you know, they, they, they people like to put on the faux denim and then, you know, wigs and all that kind of stuff. And it, it got me thinking about, about that look. And, uh, I mentioned my mom a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, when I went out there for her, her birthday. My mom has kept a, I guess, a scrapbook or a album, of pictures with her, and this is from way back in, I guess, 1994. And she, she, when when I kind of came to be uh, in in and the aesthetic that I had, you know, she would go to different games and she would see people that were dressing up as me with the goatee and the hair and stuff like that, and she would get pictures with them. So here are three gentlemen that I'm sure have changed over the ensuing decades, um, as everybody has. Uh, you know, supporting the uh, the goatee and the and the red hair and the uh, red, white, and blue uh, flag out there. So it always makes me feel great that even in 2023, and as I said, so many decades after that summer of 1994, that there are people that still take the time uh, to dress up and to send me uh, to send me pictures of uh, what I looked like a long time ago. Would that I could still grow that type of uh, type of hair, but. I am always reminded about uh, how how much of an impact that made. And people often ask me, you know, was it, was it by design? Look, I, I grew up in the 80s, and I grew up in that era of, you know, glam rock and, you know, image, and we didn't call it brand back then. But yes, I knew what I was doing in terms of the way that you appear and how it can... Uh, influence stuff so uh thank you to everybody that sent me in uh, pictures we like we said we used a couple of them there and you know if you are going out there on halloween dressed as uh dressed as yours truly it warms the cockles of my heart thank you very much what else we got mossy
2: next up we've got alex on x he he asks with the amount of young talent the u.s men's national team has coming through And with the advantage of playing at home, is it realistic to think we have a genuine chance of winning the World Cup in 2026? Oh,
1: my goodness, Alex. Evergreen. Evergreen type of stuff here. And dangerous, if you will. Um, So each and every cycle, this question comes up. That, Alex, you are bringing it up two and a half years before the World Cup is, is, uh, is interesting to me. But I do think that it is rooted, like you said, with the bullishness that we have relative to this generation to all the talent uh if you didn't check out my uh uh, my rankings of where these groups of players that we associate with previous world cups and world cup cycles are you can check that out i did that uh earlier this week um but i do think that this positive feeling that we have towards this group is justified um you know having said that you know winning a world cup Mossy will tell you from a Brazilian standpoint, you know, these are arguably, arguably some of the greatest players in the world, doesn't matter how good you are, you still need things to happen. You still need a little bit of luck. Uh, you still need things, you know, whether it's banging off of a, you know, the side of your head uh, or a foul here or a red card here. And like I said, the, the soccer gods smiling on you. Uh, you can't rely completely on that, and that's where the ability comes in. But you get accused of being delusional. You get a, uh, accused of um, of not being truthful when you submit that a U.S. men's national team can go to a World Cup and win it. You know, we talked earlier this week about how, if not for a a uh, non-call of a handball possibility that the U.S. could have gone to a semifinal way back in 2002. So I don't think that it is out of the realm of possibility. I don't think that you are being delusional. Uh, I don't think that you are being Pollyanna in terms of the way that you think of this team to believe and to expect that they compete for a World Cup. It is not out of the realm of possibility? Would it be something amazing to see? And would it surprise a lot of people? Yeah. Would, would I put all of my money <laughs> on, on that happening? No. Would it be a 1980 U.S. hockey team, Olympic hockey team type of surprise and miracle of a moment? Yes but not because they don't have experience, not because they're not talented, just relative to history and relative to the competition. And so when you put this group up against uh, you know, a Messi-led Argentina or a Mbappe-led France, you would need everything to go right and you would l- need very, very little to go wrong. So Alex, I like the fact that you are a, are, you are a positive believer of doing something that many people believe can never happen and certainly has never happened. That's the, ki- that's the type of belief that I, I want to be associated with. And there is a power to that belief. So thank you, uh, thank you, Alex, for the question. So yes, it is realistic to think that you have a genuine chance of seeing your U.S. men's national team win a World Cup in 2026.
2: Masi? Winning it, I think, might be a stretch. I think they can go far, but I don't,
1: I don't okay, know. But if they're so quite if they there, go yeah. far and they go into the quarterfinals or the semifinals of a World Cup, let's say they go to the quarterfinals, what separates them going on? If they were to just miss out because of you know a penalty or something like that, it's one thing if they get blown out in the quarterfinals and stuff like. That. Then you're like, all right, well, we got to this point and we didn't deserve to go on. Especially in a game. We've talked about this before on the State of the Union Mossy, where again, I'm not I'm not a fatalist or anything like that, but this is a game where it's so difficult to predict and there is so much chaos that goes on in this game that, that you can't you can't qualify and you can't necessarily justify from a data perspective or a, a scouting perspective.
2: The other thing too, I I've mentioned this before, I'll reiterate. Uh, we haven't experienced yet a 48 team World Cup. That's I want to go through one and just kind of get a feel for the rhythm of a 48 team World Cup, you know, and, and what the groups look like. And I guess you're creating now an extra knockout round, round guess, of 32, yeah. I yeah. believe. Or, so or
1: some buys, and definitely some buys. If you're maybe another round of knockout, but not everybody actually participates. It so if you were a really good team, it would still take you seven games ultimately to win
2: yeah so uh i hesitate to say about any country oh i think they'll make it blank far because we've now had a format change and so we we'll kind of wait and see what that feels but like.
1: would you agree with me that in 2026 and hell in 2023 the the way that people that say we can win the world cup the men's world cup the way that we have poo-pooed them in the past has changed or should change yes it's starting to
2: feel more plausible
1: okay wonderful i'm sure there are people out there that are shaking their heads and saying no you are being delusional in the way that you think it, and you're not being truthful and you're just you know talking about it as an american well first off i won't deny that i'm talking about it as an american i won't deny that the american in me maybe that is what makes me believe that things that haven't been done before can be done. And if there's anything, maybe that's the most American of takes. Uh anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, wait, well, hey, we'll talk about another great American in my one for the road. All right, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. And here's kind of a an homage and a tribute to someone that you probably haven't heard of. Uh, his name's Raul Vargas. And uh, he is a legend, whether you realize it or not. He is a legend within Major League Soccer, and he's certainly a legend when it comes to the Los Angeles Galaxy. He is the equipment manager for the Los Angeles Galaxy, and he has been. He's celebrating 25 years with the Galaxy. And look, I know this isn't a, you know, an ode to the Galaxy, but it is an ode to the Raul Vargas' out there and the men and women behind the scenes that oftentimes don't get uh, the recognition and the credit, and the respect. But let me tell you something. If you want to get a real unfiltered and honest appraisal of what is really going on behind the scenes when it comes to a club, you, need no go, you, need no, you shouldn't go any further than someone like Raul Vargas and the equipment manager. And it's not just at the Galaxy, in any of these clubs out there. And oftentimes, you will see great players when they're nostalgic, and they're talking about their time at different clubs. You know, yeah, they'll talk about prominent types of personalities, but inevitably, they will come back to the people behind the scenes, and whether it's somebody in the canteen or whether it's somebody um, like Raul, uh, who have been so important. And those are the types of relationships, and those are the types of experiences that oftentimes resonate because they uh, they see everything. They know where the bodies are buried. They have a much better grasp on what is wrong and what is right with the club than even some of the quote-unquote leaders of the club because they get an honest appraisal. They get, like I said, to see behind the scenes and understand what the real personalities um, are saying behind the scenes. And they oftentimes see problems before even the coaches and even the uh, the leadership of uh, of the club. So. All of that is to say is treat these men and women well. Uh, If you do see them, whether it's Raul or anybody else, uh, congratulate them and thank them for all of the work that they do. A lot of it that goes unnoticed. And like I said, at times uh, unappreciated. But they are as important as anybody in terms of the fabric of these clubs behind the scenes in in what goes on. And there are so many different roles and so many different people out there that you just don't hear about uh, enough. And for those that are watching, you can see Raul in this incredible uh, um, pose with all of his rings. And he is as much uh, of an important part of those rings and of those champions as anybody that actually... Uh, kick the ball so congratulations to him on 25 here's to 25 more and for all of the men and women out there that are doing the same job out there thank you for uh, for what you do and uh, hopefully you have the opportunity to celebrate uh, celebrate 25 years mossy uh
2: before we leave you a couple of notes sure um i have some very sad news for women all across the world uh sean sullivan is getting married
1: Yes, we've mentioned this a couple times over the last couple of weeks. And uh, we want to uh, say congratulations and best wishes. And uh, we've had a bunch of weddings over the last uh, you know, few, uh, few months here. Who
2: knows what's next, Mossy? Kat, by the way, is loving married life.
1: As I said, that'll change. Um, it, it just gets better. Well, it gets different. And, it, and, and to a certain extent, it gets be- uh, better. So um, well done, Sean.
2: Uh, You mentioned unsung heroes behind the scenes. I want to congratulate Josh for directing today's pod. Aaron Schechter's only contribution today, as far as I could tell, was guessing what time I was going to walk in the studio. (laughs) Right. Well, it's very important. But she nailed it, by the way. She did nail it. Uh, One last, last thing. Uh, As you know, there's a college kid named Max who is taking a sports media class and is doing a project on you. Yeah, He reached out to me a couple of days ago to interview me about you. About me? Yes. Oh
1: my goodness, I hope you uh, didn't crush me.
2: I will say, he caught me on a bad day. There are some comments about me carrying this podcast <laughs> that might get picked up by other media. <laughs> I didn't mean it. Uh, uh, but, uh,
1: well, I appreciate you taking, uh, taking the time. I've done some stuff uh, with you know, over the years with a bunch of college kids. And, and it goes back to what we've talked about in that there's a whole generation now that's coming up and looks at soccer in a very different way than it was looked at in the past. And they don't look at it as a stepping stone or, you know, this, this platform to use to bigger and better things out there. And so, uh, thank you, Mossy, for taking the time to talk to him and regardless of what you said, you know, I'm sure it'll be awesome. Anything else, my friend? That is it. All right. Uh, Keep reviewing, keep downloading, keep subscribing, keep doing all those different things you're doing, whether you're listening or whether you're listening and watching on all those different platforms. You mentioned Spotify, which has video and all that kind of stuff. And just an amazing world that we live in, in terms of the content that is out there and the platforms and the ability and the mechanisms to get that content out. So we thank each and every one of you for being a part of the uh, State of the Union Podcast family, uh, whether you're out there listening and watching, or whether you're behind the scenes here, like Sean, and uh, all the different things that are going on, and all the different people and the men we have that make us look good, Masi. We will talk to you again next week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.